those songs, I want to take a moment and just thank uh, our church for just the support and the prayers that we've had over the last uh, couple of weeks with the birth of Lance. And uh, so far, he's doing okay. He's not eating the way that he should. And so if you would pray about that, he's uh, gained a little bit of weight this morning, but up until this morning, he had uh, lost weight. So if you would just pray that everything would work out there, we would be grateful for that. But uh, I want to thank each person who made a meal. Uh, it was a blessing. And man, you guys can make good food. Like, I'm signing up for that meal train any day of the week because it's so good, so good. So thank you so much. Thank you for all those who prayed for us. Uh, what a blessing it is to hear texts and calls of, hey, we're praying for you. We really, really appreciate it. We felt very supported during this time. So thank you so much. Um, not that you have to do this right now, but we have worked hard. A couple of us have worked hard uh, trying to get um, a guest Wi-Fi network for you, Okay. Because we want every person to be following along with us as we go through the Bible, as we do different things. And so you can see that in your um, Wi-Fi if you want. Um, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 13. Uh, if you want to download the Bible app, you can do that. Um, Acts chapter 13, we're using the King James Version. And so we want everybody to follow along. Uh, we are called Bible Baptist Church for a reason. Okay? We, we enjoy the Bible around here. And uh, we study the Bible, we want to know the Bible, we want to know what it says. So we want everybody to follow along, Acts chapter 13. Let's start with a word of prayer this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day, thank you so much for all you've done for us. Father, what a great privilege it is uh, to be here this morning. Father, I pray that as we open your word and study it, that Father, we would be moved and changed because of what is said in it today. And Father, I pray that you would be with my mouth, I pray that everything that is said would be coming from you and not from me. And Father, I pray that your will be accomplished today. Thank you so much for all you do for us. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you so much that we have a holy, holy, holy God. And Father, we're just so grateful for you. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think of the term holy, what do you think of? You think of our world today? No. By raising your hands, how many of you would say that you are satisfied with the way the world is currently as it sits? Anybody? Okay, wow, interesting. How many of you are just resigned to the fact that it is what it is? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> it is what it is. Some of us kind of get to that point in life, don't we? Well, the world just is what it is. We're not going to change it. There's really nothing that we can do. To be honest with you, this morning, I, I feel like many of us have forgotten why we are here on this earth. If we get in this mode of, well, it is what it is, there's not a whole lot we can do about it, I think we've forgotten the purpose that we have on this earth. There may be some of you that are sitting here this morning that you're just hanging on till the end. Just hang on, hold the fort, for I am coming, right? We're just hanging on. There may be some here that are just going through the motions, again, of every day, just doing what they need to do, just getting by by the skin of their teeth, so to speak. There may be some here that have never thought why they're here in the first place. I hope to give you a purpose this morning. All year we've been studying, we've been learning about your purpose here on this earth. All year we've been begging, pleading for every single one of us to realize that we are made for more. All year, we've been looking at practical things to help us understand what our purpose is. But in this rising tide of our, quote, tolerant, 
ideological, liberal culture, there is a swift current that is beginning to become more and more powerful. And frankly, it's hard for us to stand in the midst of that current and stand at all. Many of us feel like we're being swept down river with the things that are going on in our culture. So out of self-protection and sometimes sheer exhaustion, what do we do? Instead of getting in the middle of the current, what do we do? We slowly shift to the bank where it's a little more quiet. It's a little more out of the way. And we just observe the world as it's swiftly going by. Please hear me today. We are made for more than the bank. We are made for more than the sideline. I know a God that took that current of the Jordan River and heaped it up while his children walked across on dry ground. I know that God. And so we don't have to sit here today and watch the world just do what it's going to do. We can make a difference. Our God is not a go with the flow kind of God. Our God is a God that stands against the culture. Our God is a God that goes against the grain and does the miraculous while he's doing it. I believe this. Most of us have lost our faith in God. If you think about the picture that I've tried to paint for you of a river flowing, and that's all it is, just liberal, ideological, tolerant, and you just look back and you just go, what could we possibly do? You know what we've done? We've lost faith in God. You see, the reality is you and I can do nothing. When the children of Israel were at the bank of the Jordan River, as it overflowed its banks at that time of year, as they looked at it flowing, they thought, there is no way we're going across this river. And they were right. They weren't going to. But God was going to do something. God was going to split that river wide open and heap it up so that they could pass through and place a monument in the middle of it as well. I believe most of us have stopped believing that God will do something in our midst. Not, we, don't, we believe he can, because we read about it in the Bible, and we're not that poor of Christians, right? We believe he can, but we've stopped believing that he will. Today we have a bunch of weak, tired, exhausted Christians on the banks, hopelessly watching the world go by. Now, our story today is not a story of some brash, outspoken, vulgar man. It's a story about a rising tide of the world and the possibilities that lie for us to take a hold of. Let's go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Saul and Barnabas, we learned two weeks ago, excuse me, that they are sent out of the church at Antioch. And they're going through the cities, they're going through the villages, and what are they doing? They're preaching and they're teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone who would listen. You can see in verse 2, Acts chapter 13 and verse 2, And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. So they're being separated for a work, for a purpose, for a very particular purpose. It was not their work, it was not the church's work, it was God's work that he wanted to do through Saul and Barnabas. We finished 
In verse 5, a couple weeks ago, let's take a look at verse 6. The Bible says this. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of the Lord. Word of God, excuse me. There are several interesting things as we begin this story that I want you to take notice. Notice who this man was. The Bible calls him, in verse 6, a sorcerer. A sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew. Okay, so the Bible is very descriptive about this man. He's a sorcerer. Some of us might think about a magician here. Don't think that way. Because in 21st century, we know that magicians are just using sleight of hand in different things. They're using illusions. We would call them illusionists. That's not what this guy was. This guy actually had in tune with dark magic. He could do unnatural things, supernatural things. He was a sorcerer. Not only was he a sorcerer, he was a false prophet. He used that sorcery in order to gain a reputation so that he could tell people what to do. And not only that, he was a Jew. Okay, so he was a religious, he had a religious cultural upbringing. So you know what that means? He, this was a dangerous, dangerous man. He knew enough to be dangerous. And he has also, a, he was with a man by the name of Sergius Paulus. Now, Sergius Paulus is a long name, so I'm going to call him Serge the rest of the, the, uh, the, the sermon here today, all right? This Serge was the deputy of the country. He was, for lack of a better phrase, he was a high-ranking political official. Now let me try to break this down a little bit. Serge is in a position of leadership. And by the way, this man definitely tried to have Bar-Jesus next to him. Serge is in a position of leadership, and he has an advisor with him. His, this advisor uh, is, is a, a, a Jewish man. Ro- Serge is a Roman. The Romans were there in this area, and they were ruling over Jews. But yet they wanted to please the Jews. They wanted to please them. So he would have somebody close to him that knew the Jewish culture. Romans are also very superstitious people. They believed in multiple gods. We know that from history, the, the, the plethora of Roman gods that they have. And they were careful to try to please each and every one of them. And so now the Jews have a god. We better please him as well. So I'm going to get this Jew next to me. So Serge is trying to cover all his bases. He was a sorcerer, someone who was in touch with the spiritual world, a prophet, and he's a Jew. Did you notice the name? The name, his name is Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus. Anytime you see Bar in the Bible, it means son of. Son of. So fill it in. He's the son of whom? Interesting. No doubt, Serge had heard about Jesus. Serge had heard all the amazing things that Jesus had done and the amazing, awesome, powerful person that he was. And this guy comes along and he's the son of Jesus. Huh. Well, let's have him come. I, and then he, he, has, he can do supernatural things and he's prophesying and, and he's a Jew. This, I mean, this guy, no, it's no wonder 
Lycurgus would want this kind of man near him, the son of Jesus. It's also important to point out that Serge is no slouch as a man. Some of us would think, well, he must have been just absolutely ignorant. No, look what the Bible says. The Bible calls him a prudent man. Bible verse 7, which was the deputy of the country, Sergius Paul is a prudent man. I looked this word up in Strong's Dictionary. It, said, it literally said this, mentally put together. Mentally put together. Yes, we can say that about many, many people here today. You are mentally put together. We would, you know what we would say? That guy's sharp. That guy's sharp, or that lady's sharp. That's, that's how we would describe them today. So he was a prudent man. He was mentally put together. So he wasn't just some uh, no-brained idiot that Satan or Bar-Jesus was using. This guy was wise. He, he thought through things. I mean, he did not get into the position of authority just because. He was a wise, wise man. So he wasn't some dumb, aware person. He was extremely smart, he was extremely powerful, and he had a counselor called Bar-Jesus. At the end of verse 7, we see that Serge calls for Saul and Barnabas. And as the story progresses, we get to see who Bar-Jesus really is. Look at verse 8 with me. At the end of verse 7, let's read that. Who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Okay, so he has a good desire. I want to hear the word of God. Verse 8. But Elymas, this is the same person. Same person as Bar-Jesus. Elymas the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation. What did he do? He withstood them. Seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Bar-Jesus, Elmas. here comes Saul and Barnabas. They begin to tell Serge exactly what he wanted to hear. And Bar-Jesus withstood them. He got in their face, he stopped them, he would not let them speak. He withstood them for what purpose? So that they would not, so excuse me, that Surge would be turned away from the faith. So if you will, the stage is set. The troops are aligned. The battle begins. Bar-Jesus opposes Saul and Barnabas. Why? To turn away the deputy from the faith. If you're in the habit of writing things down, I want you to write this down. Saul and Barnabas battled Bar-Jesus for the soul of Sergius Paulus. Hey, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Saul and Barnabas battled Bar Jesus for the soul of Sergius Paulus. This is so key. You know what? We've lost track of this. In 21st century Christianity, we've lost track of this. There is a battle for the soul waging right now. Oh, we may not see it the way that they saw it, but there is a battle for maybe your soul today. Maybe you sit here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Can I encourage you with something? There is a battle going on right now for your soul. Satan wants your soul. He wants to keep it. 
And God has already died for your soul so that you can have an eternal home in heaven with Jesus Christ. There's a battle for the soul of your neighbor happening right now. There's a battle for the soul of your relative happening right now. There's a battle for the soul of your coworker happening right now. Hear me, please. There is a real, a very, very real spiritual battle happening right now for the souls of the people in this world. The church has always faced and will always face satanic opposition when the gospel is preached. Why? For it is penetrating into Satan's kingdom of darkness. When we preach the gospel, when I say the name of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, we are penetrating into Satan's kingdom of darkness. The light of the world is breaking open the darkness and Satan is wanting to close that up. And so there is a battle. Griffith Thomas said this, when you open heaven, you also open hell. Powerful. Guys, I don't want you to miss this because this is so important and I really truly think that we've forgotten the severity of what this is. Please don't forget, please don't underestimate that there is an all-out war going on for the soul. And it's happening today. But as I read this story, I have to ask myself a question. If Bar-Jesus is the advisor to Surge, why in the world would Bar-Jesus even allow Saul and Barnabas to even show up? Why would, why would he say, hey, no, you don't need to ask them to come? Why, why didn't he put a stop to it at the beginning? I think it's a pretty good question, mainly because it's my question. Why wouldn't he have tried to talk him out of it? Here's what I believe. Satan is not just against the gospel. He wants to destroy any hope of the gospel. Hear me out. Satan is not just against the gospel. He wants to destroy any hope of the gospel. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about Seeking whom he may devour. See, Satan is not just in the pressing against business. He's in the devouring business. He's in the completely decimating someone business. And so it is my opinion, please understand me, this is my opinion. It is my opinion that he invited him, excuse me, Saul and Barnabas there to destroy them. And here's where I get that basis from. In Acts chapter 19, you don't need to turn there, but in Acts chapter 19, there's a group of seven men that try to cast out a devil. And that devil beats them, strips them naked, and they go running out embarrassed and humiliated. If Satan could get Saul and Barnabas there in front of Serge. Serge has a question. But he's going to allow these guys to come and try to answer the question. And Bar-Jesus is going to blow them up. And that will settle that 
in Serge's mind. Does that make sense? Again, my opinion. Please take it for what you will. But Satan is not just out to oppose the gospel. He is out to destroy the gospel. He is out to discourage and humiliate anyone who will proclaim the gospel in the process. So again, I can't prove it, but I believe Bar-Jesus was setting Paul and Barnabas up for a butt-kicking. Which would solidify Sergius Paulus further in his grasp. But here's what Bar-Jesus didn't plan for. Look at verse 9. Then Saul, this is the first place we see him called Paul, who is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost. This is what Bar-Jesus did not expect. He did not expect God to show up. He didn't expect his arch enemy, God, who's already cast him out of heaven. He didn't expect him to show up. He just thought it would just be these two weaselly little guys who know nothing. But Saul, full of the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. Paul did not come in his own strength. He came in the power of the Holy Ghost. He, like David, did not come to encounter the giant as a small little boy, which he was. He came in the power of Almighty God. 1 John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because he, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Romans 8, 37. Nay, in all these things we are what? More than conquerors through him that loved us. Hear me. If we approach the battle in our own strength, we will be beaten. And Satan will secure a deeper hook into the soul. But Satan and his messengers, Satan and his devils, Satan and his demons cannot, cannot, cannot withstand a Christian who comes in the strength and in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. They can't do it. So let me ask this question. If we know that that's true, if we read this story and go, wow, Satan cannot stand, why is it? that we don't engage in the battle more often? Why is it that when our coworker says something even remotely close to God, we take a step back? We don't go further out into the current, we take a step back closer to the bank. Why is it that we know that there's a God who can split the Red Sea wide open? He can split the Jordan River. We know that that's the same God we serve today. Why is it that we don't take that step? Why is it that we shrink back in fear? I believe there could be a couple of reasons. Number one, we don't know if we're filled with the Spirit. We don't know if we're filled with the Spirit or not. We hear about it all the time. We, we read about it all the time and we think, wow, if I could just have that serum again, or that, that spider bite, that, then, then I would have that power. We're waiting for someone to give us maybe a three-step formula on how to be filled with the Spirit. 
But hear me, it's this simple. It's more of God and less of me. It's that simple. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's just more of God and less of me. So some of us don't know if we're filled with the Spirit. Number two, it could be, we know that we have sin in our lives, and we are already living defeated. I were to ask every single person in this room today, what sin do you have in your life right now? I could almost guarantee you that every single one of you would be able to name it just like that. We know it. We know exactly what it is. We know we struggle with it. And we know we're, many of us have given up. We live defeated. So why, I, I, can't, I can't even defeat what's in front of me. Why am I going to go out here and try to engage in another battle? Can I encourage you with something? If one of these things are true, then we are desperately, desperately, desperately losing the battle. And truthfully, here's, here's the solution. And I don't mean to be basic. I don't mean to sound ignorant. It's just more of God and less of me. That sin that so easily besets you, that sin that you just can't seem to get over, listen, it's just more of God and less of me. There's a verse in the Bible that talks about the sin that you struggle with. Memorize it, learn it. Anytime that temptation comes up, quote it back. Get thee behind me, Satan, we're not doing this today. Listen, you can live a victorious life. Paul, Saul, and Barnabas, they did. You know who Saul was, right? Do I have to go over who he was again? He, he was the guy that was throwing people in jail. Christians, innocent people. He was a murderer. He stood there and watched Stephen be stoned. Listen, not a good guy, yet he could have the power of God. Listen, we will never engage in the spiritual battle that is around us until we first get more of God and less of us. You might say, fine, enough, what should I do? Tell me what to do. Number one, get in the fight. Get in the fight. Look at verse nine. And Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. And said, oh, full of all subtlety and all mischief. Thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness. Notice with me what, what Paul calls him. Bar Jesus means what? Say it with me. What does Bar Jesus mean? Son of Jesus. What does Paul call him? Look again. Verse 10. O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil. Basically said, Bar devil. You're saying you're this, but I'm going to call you what you really are. Child of the devil. He's not pulling any punches with this messenger of Satan. He's getting right into the fight. Again, 
let's be honest with it. If most of us put ourselves in this situation, Bar Jesus resists and, and pushes back and says, hey, we don't want to hear that. What would we do? We'd back up, wouldn't we? Listen, I would back up. I'm not saying that I'm any better than anybody else. Not Paul. Filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You're the child of the devil. You're a liar. He is the father of it. Number one, get in the fight. Number two, proclaim the truth. Proclaim the truth. Let's continue in verse 10. Now, enemy of righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Paul basically says, I see what you're doing here. See what you're trying to accomplish. You cease not to pervert the right ways of the Lord. Please don't burn by this. Satan will never stop trying to pervert the right ways of the Lord. Satan will never stop trying to pervert the right ways of the Lord. He is going to keep trying to change the path. He is going to try to make it more difficult. He's going to try to distort. He's going to try to corrupt the way of the Lord. Satan will do everything he can to make the straight way as crooked as possible. And boy, has he done a good job, hasn't he? I've heard this so many times over my short lifespan. There are many ways to God. Oh, seems like a simple, tolerant view of God, doesn't it? Satan has perverted the right way of the Lord. But I want to encourage you. This is where we come in. Satan's going to do what Satan's going to do. Satan is more powerful than we will ever be, but us, Christians, with the Holy Spirit of God, this is where we come in. We get to make straight the paths of the Lord. We get that opportunity. That's what Paul's doing here. Paul's saying, listen, you're perverting it, and I get the opportunity to straighten it. I get to put surge on the right path. Get to show him that straight is the gate. Narrow is the way that leads unto righteousness. You know, John the Baptist's whole life purpose was to make straight the path. John 1, 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As said the prophet, he says. How did John do this? How did John make straight the way of the Lord? Guess what he did? Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He proclaimed the way. He proclaimed the truth. He proclaimed the life. This was John's whole goal was to say, the truth is coming. The truth is coming. The way is coming. The life is coming. Listen to me. The, the world, this world does not need more politics. It doesn't. We are up to our ears in politics. We don't need any more politics to change this world. We need the truth to change this world. 
Don't get this mixed up. By the way, Paul was talking to a politician. So he's having a confrontation with Bar Jesus, but the whole point is to win a politician. He doesn't talk about his policy. He doesn't talk about homosexuality. He doesn't talk about transgenderism. He doesn't talk about any of that. He just talks about the truth. We don't need more politics. We don't need more so social reform. We don't need more tolerance. This world needs more of Jesus Christ. It needs more of the way, the straight way. This world needs more of the truth, and so proclaim it. Get in the fight. Most of us want to get in the fight and proclaim anything that we think is good. No. Proclaim the truth. Proclaim the truth. You don't see Paul saying, well, bar Jesus, you have your way and I have mine. And both are acceptable. Not at all. He proclaimed the truth. You are perverting the right way of the Lord. This is a face-to-face -face confrontation. This is not Paul standing on a soapbox berating a politician. This is Paul in battle with Bar-Jesus again for the soul of Sergius Paulus. Verse 11. Paul continues, And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee. Talking to Bar-Jesus, thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season, and immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Listen to me. If you're talking to someone about Jesus Christ, I don't know that you should say, the hand of the Lord is on you and you're going to be blind. Okay? I want you to think through this with me from a very logical standpoint. Bar Jesus is a visual image of Satan. And every time you talk to somebody about Jesus Christ, you're going to war over that soul. And while you're in the midst of a conversation, there will be a, a little bit of dead space in which you can say, Satan, Jesus has already won this battle. Feel free to talk right to him. We talk right to God. You can say, Holy Spirit of God, would you help me? Would you give me wisdom? You can talk through this whole thing because you can talk directly to Satan and say, hey, buddy, get thee behind me. You have no authority here. This is not your soul. This is God's soul. He died. He bought and paid for this soul. Get in the fight. Proclaim the truth. Look at verse 12. Then the deputy... When he saw what was done, <laughs> I love it, believed, being astonished at what? Not at the power of Paul or at the things that happened, but at the doctrine of the Lord. Most of us, most of us think if we just had miracles, we could just, we could do this thing. That's not what he was astonished at. He was astonished at the doctrine, the truth, the teaching of the Lord. We have it right here. 
We have it right here. Here's the question. How much of it do we know? How much of it can we articulate? I've had the opportunity to talk to some people about some of the things that they believe in their life. Some of you can articulate your position so well. Others, maybe we struggle. Listen, we've got to get in a fight. The only way we're going to get in the fight is if we're studied, ready to give an answer to every man of the reason of the hope that is within us with meekness and fear. We cannot control what happens when we get out there. But we can control whether or not we go and whether or not we proclaim. Do we really grasp the reality that the gospel that we have and have the opportunity to proclaim is absolutely supernaturally powerful. Do we grasp that? I heard this once and I love it. The gospel is so powerful that a teenager at a vacation Bible school can lead a four or five year old child to Jesus Christ. That same gospel can be used by a theologian who's been studying for 20, 30, 40 years to lead someone to Christ. It doesn't matter. That's how powerful the gospel is. We can't control what happens when we get out there. but We can control whether or not we go. Let me ask you this question. Who are you going to fight for this week? Who are you going to fight for this week? Don't get me wrong. You'll have to prepare for battle. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us to put on the whole armor of God. So guess what? Guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to get into the word of God. You're going to have to study it. You're going to have to get into it. You're going to have to be filled with the Spirit. You're going to have to put more of Him in and less of me. But it's time that we, 21st century Christians, these were the first century Christians, but 21st century Christians became more bold through the power of the Holy Spirit to declare the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our purpose. And then there will be many different ways that you do that. Some of you will do that through a car wash. Others of you will do that in your job. Others will, of you will do that at McDonald's. Myriad of different ways that you can do that. But this is our purpose. This is why we are here. Hear me, hear me. Don't miss this. Wake up if you're asleep right now, okay? We can turn the tide. We can vanquish the foe. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We won't do it in our own strength. It can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. The question is, will you? Will you? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all you've done for us. Father, please, please help us to put more of you in. Get less of us out. Oh, Father, there is a battle. Help us to realize it. Help us to see it. Help us to engage in it.
And I pray, Father, that we would be ready for it. Pray that Satan would never win another battle out of this church ever again. Father, if there's one person here today that Satan's battling, today I pray that today he'd lose the battle. Father, I pray your power and your strength be on each and every one of us. Father, I pray that we decide today that we will go. We'll pray all these things in your name.